And he said, why don't you become a pit stop instead of a garage? And it's not that we don't want to make people feel at home. It's not that we always want to make people feel at home. We always want to make people feel welcome. We always want to meet people right where they're at. But we also want to build God's kingdom. Not my kingdom, not Justin's kingdom, not the New Day organization. All those things are great, and you always need a pit crew to help inside the pit stop. And many of us serve in different areas, and we all help to do those things. But God has a call on every one of our lives individually. And our job as a leadership team is to change your oil, change your tires, get your battery charged up, and get you back on the track so that you can help expand the kingdom of God because you know who you are in him and you know who God is as your father. Amen? And in Ephesians 4, verse 11, out of the Passion Translation, it says, And he appointed some with grace to be apostles, and some with grace to be prophets, and some with grace to be evangelists, and some with grace to be pastors, and some with the grace to be teachers. Next verse. And their calling, look at this, and their calling is to nurture and prepare all the holy believers to do their own works of ministry. And as they do this, they will enlarge and build up the body of Christ. So for 14 months, New Day started March 4th of 2018. So about 14 months ago, for about the last 14 months, man, we've been, God has had us pouring into you of the gospel, the power of God to salvation, the power of God to transformation. He's had us pouring into you what it means to be a new creature in Christ and what it means to be a new man, how the old man is dead and that you are God's beloved. We've studied Ephesians where we've seen that man, we are chosen by God before the foundation of the world. He chose us to be part of his family. He chose us to be on his team. That he adopted us as his, being, to be our father, that we are his sons and his daughters. That we're accepted by him, that we've been redeemed by his blood, we've been forgiven. And then he gives us the Holy Spirit, the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead now lives inside each of every one of us. And the power that he brought to raise Jesus from the dead, he brought to live inside of us to transform our lives and to flow through us that we become a pipe and a vessel that God is able to use to touch the world around us. So now the question is, now what? That's been the topic. Now what do you want me to do, God? What is it? What ministry do you have for me Pastor Justin's been talking about that each one of us is a minister. Well, what about me? What do I do? What do I do with this love that you've bestowed upon me and shown me? Well, I have three goals today. Is to affirm each and every person in this room that you personally have the call to ministry. Number two, I want to inspire you just with some of the stories that I've heard and some of the things that have happened to me that you'd be inspired that Man, if I can do it, you can do it. And number three is that I want to give you some real easy practical steps on how to start. But as we do that and we get into that, I want to remind you that nothing changes. There's always relationship before function. Even when it comes to reaching out to other people. And Amy and I were walking out the other day and one of these days, I'm just going to have her come up here and 
share it because this part of the notes is from her what she said anyway. But she had this really good analogy as we were taking a, a walk. She says, you know, sometimes I'm starting to realize that God's love for me and then showing God's love for to others is not mutually exclusive. God's not looking at you going, okay, for 14 months, guys, you've been learning about how God loves you. Now get out there and go do something. That's not what God is thinking, and that's not what this is. Because what happens is when you receive the love of God, now you're able to give out the love of God because perfect love that says casts out all fear. And it can be difficult for me. I, I, I'm a performer by, in my mind. I mean, I don't mean to, I guess I am in a lot of ways. This has a long connotation, but in a lot of ways, I'm a people pleaser. And I want to please my boss. I, I, I want to please my family. I want to please my wife. So there's, we talk about being a people pleaser, and I get there's a negative content about that. But there's also a good thing about that. And, but when it comes to God, he doesn't rate me by my performance. And so I'm really having to learn how do I step into reaching out to other people without, man, I missed it, and coming into guilt and condemnation. And so I just want to share with you real quick of what I'm doing and what I've been learning is the other day I was at Ranch Frosty. Anybody know what Ranch Frosty is? New Lenox, great ice cream. I was over there with AJ. He got his braces done this past week. He can't eat anything, so he got the biggest scoop of ice cream I have ever seen my life. That's what he had for breakfast, that's what he had for lunch, and that's what he had for dinner, is we fed him ice cream and a little bit of soup. But we're there, and uh, man, God just put it on my heart to talk to these two keep this couple. And I chickened out. Anybody ever chicken out? Yeah, I chickened out. And in times past, I probably would have got down on myself. I would have compared to myself to all the other people that I think are bolder than me and better ministers than I am because I didn't match up. And that's what I would have done in times past. But I've been meditating on Romans 5 in verse 1 and 2, and it says this. It says, our faith in Jesus transfers God's righteousness to us, and now he declares us flawless in his, in his eyes. This means that we can now enjoy, I mean, that word right there, enjoy, is huge. You can enjoy God. True and lasting peace with God all because of what our Lord Jesus, the anointed one, has done for us. Our faith guarantees us permanent access into this marvelous kindness that has given us a perfect relationship with God. A perfect relationship with God. So even though I messed up at Ranch Frosty and missed an opportunity, I am still in perfect relationship with God. What incredible joy bursts forth within us as we keep on celebrating our hope of experiencing God's glory. So this is how I handle those situations now. I'll say, Father, I thank you that I am completely just in your sight. And I thank you that I have been completely delivered from fear. And I thank you that I'm just partnering with you, that I'm only a pipe, I'm only a vessel, and God, that you are just able to work through me. And what that does is that even in the midst of in the face of being afraid, I declare who I am. Is it just because I missed it? It doesn't determine who I am. Just because I acted in fear once doesn't mean I'm fearful. Man, I have been delivered from fear, and I begin to walk in that. And so when I mess up and I miss an opportunity, God's not going, oh, yeah, you missed that one. Man, I never do that with my kids. 
I'm excited about the next time where they actually responded and did what God called them to do. And he's exactly the same with us. He'll take us from glory to glory and faith to faith. And all he wants you to do is say, yes. He just wants you to agree with him that, man, Lord, I just thank you that I am free from fear. Look at this. It says in 2 Corinthians 5, 13 through 14, because when you talk about sharing the gospel with other people and it be being relational before functional, how does that work? Well, it has to be because the motive is love, that you have a desire to share. And in 2 Corinthians 13 through, or uh, in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 5, verses 13 to 14, it says, For it is Christ's love that fuels our passion and motivates us, because we are absolutely convinced that he has given his life for all of us. This means that all died with him, so that those who live should no longer live self-absorbed lives, but lives that are poured out for him, the one who died for us and now lives again. If you just sit with me for a few minutes, I will start talking about Amy. I like her a lot. (laughs) But I tell her, I'll share. I love her laugh. I love the way she treats people. I love the way she makes me feel when I'm around people. She makes me feel comfortable. She makes other people feel comfortable. I have been told she gives this great back massage when she hugs people. You know? But I would just ooze out of my joy. Nobody has to tell me, go tell somebody about Amy. Like, out of the love that I have for Amy, it just motivates me to talk about her and to praise her and just share about her. Well, that's how it wants to be with God, or that's how it's supposed to be with God, and that's how it's relational before functional. And I've shared this story before, but I just love it. There's a song that I um, heard growing up. My uh, dad used to always play this song by a guy named Don Francisco. Anybody ever heard of that guy? Well, there's a few out there. But he wrote these really catchy songs. He, I get it's folk music. And, uh, and I don't really listen to folk music, just to let you know. But um, I feel funny saying that. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but this song, he would take, he'd take a part of the scriptures and he'd put it to song. And, man, it would come so alive. I was listening to it yesterday while I was preparing. Literally, at one point, like, chills go down my spine because he just makes this thing come so alive. But the, my, my favorite song that he wrote is about... A guy named Jairus in Mark chapter 5. Now, Jairus' daughter had become very, very sick where she was about to die. But he'd heard all the miracles that Jesus had been doing. And so he ran out to see if he could find Jesus. And when he came upon him, he threw himself at his feet. And he says, Jesus, my daughter is dying. He says, I don't know what to do, but I know that you've worked miracles And I know that if you would just come and touch her, that she would be healed. And Jesus decides to go with Jairus. And on the way, imagine they're walking on the way. I'm sure there's some excitement in Jairus' mind and heart is that Jesus is actually coming to his house, somebody that can do something. And when he does, all of a sudden this lady comes up to Jesus and reaches out and touches Jesus' robe. And she had a, this lady was sick for 12 years And she had also heard of the rumors about Jesus, that people were being healed. 
And because she was sick for 12 years, it said she bled for 12 years. The doctors couldn't do nothing. But when she touched his robe, she was instantly healed. And Jesus felt this power go out from, for, uh, go out from him. And he turns around and he says, who touched me? And all the disciples are like, what are you talking about? There's hundreds of people here. Everybody's touching you. And he says, no, there was power that went out from me. And he begins to have a conversation, which is amazing to everybody there, but probably not to Jairus. Jairus is thinking, my daughter is dying, and now we're stopping to have a conversation. And as that moment is occurring, all of a sudden, Jairus' friends come up to him. And they say, hey, don't, don't bother Jesus anymore. He says, um, I'm sorry, but your, your little girl has died. And Jesus tells him, he says, don't worry. He says, have faith and only believe. And he goes to Jairus' house, and she had, she had died and Jesus raised this little girl from the dead. Now imagine your little girl or your little boy is sick, and they get raised from the dead. And Jesus tells you this. I don't want you to tell anybody. Uh... So Jairus, this song that I like, is called Gotta Tell Somebody. And it starts out that real low, where Jesus says, don't tell anybody about it. And then the song goes into Jairus singing, I've got to tell somebody. And it crescendos. I've got to tell somebody what just happened. I have got to tell somebody what Jesus just did for me. That is the essence of relational evangelism. That you just tell people what God did for you. The greatest way to share with somebody your faith is to go like this. Do you know what I just saw? Do you know what just happened? And you begin to just share with people your everyday encounters with Jesus. Man, I was depressed, but now I'm happy. I was poor, but now I'm rich. I was sick, but now I'm healthy. And people go, what happened? And you say, Jesus happened. Amen. Each one of us has a ministry, and it is that easy. You say, well, what if nothing's ever really happened to me? What if maybe you haven't experienced that yet? You know, I get that from kids once in a while, and I understand that question. I'm like, man, what has happened? Well, what will happen is as you get to get know your father more, you'll begin to know the love that he has for you more, and then it just begins to bubble up and overflow. But it's just that simple question is, man, let me tell you about a situation or a, a circumstance that changed because Jesus was in my life or just the joy that you live with. You know, Amy was raised in church. She says, I don't really, you know, you hear people say, I don't really have a testimony. I, I grew up in church. Man, Amy and I have a testimony of like, we have a great marriage. I don't say this, I don't mean this demeaning anything. I don't know anybody that has a better marriage than us. I don't say that in any disrespect. That's just my testimony is that God has done something for me. that we, I didn't have to go through the things that maybe somebody else had. That's a testimony. So even if you're raised in church, you'll have a testimony of God working inside your life. But each one of us has been given a ministry. And I want you to take a look at 2 Corinthians 5, and verse 17 through 19. It says, Therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh. For even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him thus no longer. 
Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, say, that's me. That is you. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now all things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. What is your ministry? Now what do you do? Man, you help reconcile people back to God. Because it says that is that God was in Christ reconciled the world, reconciling the world to himself, not imputing. Another verse says not counting their trespasses against them. And has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Our ministry is God is not mad at you anymore. Jesus paid the price for you. He wants to know you. And all that they catch a glimpse of the goodness of God. And the goodness of God turns their heart. So now they go, hey, God, I repent. I just want you to be part of my life. We have the ministry of reconciliation. If you're in Christ, you're qualified. It doesn't matter. You say, well, I've heard some of you say, I'm too young. I just started to know the Lord. I don't know enough. I don't know the Bible. Do you know the Apostle Paul was, before he became the Apostle Paul, he was a murderer. And the way he became a Christian is that he was killing Christians because he was a Jewish Pharisee, and he thought that that's what God wanted him to do. So he went around, and he was killing all these Christians. And God showed up and struck him blind one day on a road. And someone came and prayed for Paul later that God had sent. And after he got prayed for, three days later, Paul's, Paul had went blind. His eyes were opened. And it says he immediately went into the synagogue and began to preach the gospel. It says immediately. That's about as unqualified as you can get going from murder to sharing your faith. But I, I bet you what that message looked something like this. Do you know what just happened to me on that road? And he began to share how God showed up in his life. So if Paul was qualified, one version says within the hour he went to the synagogue and preached the gospel. So if he was qualified, we're qualified. The second thing is that your ministry is right in front of you. You know, a lot of us, when you think about ministry, and some of you in this room, we think about pastors and evangelists and prophets, and they, they're all ministers. But we think of it as them. Or else we think of being a minister is going someplace else. And that's wonderful, and there's going to be some of you that are called to that. Man, I, I love missions. I hope to take some of you along with me on some mission trips. But ministry is right in front of us every day. In Acts chapter 1, in verse 8, it says, You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem. Now, in Jerusalem is where they lived. So if Jesus, if Jesus was speaking to you, he'd say, in Chicago or in New Lenox. He said, go be witnesses to me first and foremost in Jerusalem, where you live at. See, your ministry is your neighbors and your family and your friends and your coworkers and the bank tellers that you run into and the people, the gas station attendants that you run into. That's your ministry. It's right there in front of you. And what I want to share with you is that people aren't a religious project. And what I mean by that is 
I'm beginning change to, to change in my heart and the way that I do things. And let me check. Uh, and there's a guy that I work with who I've worked with for four years. And uh, he's uh, kind of a, totally into heavy metal. He's an older guy. He's my age now, but he's still into heavy metal. Grew up loving that, playing guitar. He's got tattoos all over him. Um, you know, he's, he's not real... Uh, <laughs> As, uh, he, not yet. That's what I'm working on. <laughs> but he's married, Val. He's married. <laughs> so, but, uh, but, so when I go out with guys, when I first met them, and, you know, I was traveling with them, and so what do I do is when we're traveling together and my meal comes, I just said, hey, do you mind if I pray for my meal? And I pray for my meal, and I pray for him, and that his family would be protected and blessed while we're away. And I could kind of tell that he was okay with me praying. He's like, yeah, sure, do whatever you want. You know, so I prayed, and, you know, that's kind of where it stood. Well, you know, I've been working there for four years, and, man, we travel a lot together, and we work together, and we become buddies. And I know he's got kids that dance, and he knows that I got kids, and we're talking about guitar one day. We're at an airport. He's having a beer. I'm just drinking a Coke. And, you know, but we're just being friendly with one another, and I began to, and I said, we started talking about guitar, and I, and that led to Chloe taking lessons, and begin, and singing at church, and starting a church, and he says, so, um, uh, he asked me, just started asking me questions about church, and I just asked him, well, I said, do you have any religious background? This blew me away. He says, you know, my mom and my dad, became Christians while I was in college. And my dad would always talk to me about it. It floored me. I was just another person that was sent to water a seed that God had already planted inside of him. So I told him a story. I said, well, let me tell you about something that happened when we were traveling once together. Now, that caught his attention. I said, do you remember when we were at that hotel and we went up to, out to dinner and you went upstairs? I said, well, I was upstairs, and I really felt like God told me to go talk to the lady down at the hotel or at the, uh, when you check in. And I said, and, and I shared with her what God, I thought God had on my heart, and she began crying, and she'd been going through a horrible situation. He says, man, that is crazy because it was just part of my life that I experienced, and he wasn't too far away from it happening. And I got a chance to say, hey, you know, I'm just going to be really praying for you that God reveals himself to you. So now you got this guy that's totally into heavy metal. He's got tattoos all over him, and he's thanking me because he knows me. He knows I care for him, and I'm able to just water another seed. So it doesn't have to be necessarily, if you were to die today, do you know whether or not you'd go to heaven? And I want to get there with him, but, for, but I could tell from the first time I prayed, he would not have accepted that right away. I had to... But now he knows me, and he respects me, and he knows I like him. You know, that, that makes a big difference. That's my ministry. You know, my neighbors, God has them on my heart. I went and bought them Easter lilies and just brought them a lily and wrote them a note that says, man, God loves you. Megan writes cards to people, and some of you ladies wrote cards to people. That's ministering to people. That's loving on people. Our neighbor next door, him and his partner, they're not living a godly night, life. And the one guy passed away. And I knew he, he fell and he passed away. But in this process, 
Chloe and me and AJ brought soup over to this guy. Amy had made some soup. And we bring him over next door and just asked him about his buddy. And uh, he wasn't doing well. And do you know that inside this guy's house, I said, I don't mean to be pushy, but could we pray for your friend? He says, I'd really like that. He stands up, gets in a circle with me, Chloe, and AJ, and prays with us. That might have been the first time a prayer in the name of Jesus ever took place in that guy's house. And your kids are great. They'll push you. Chloe's going, Dad, ask him to see if he wants to pray for him. Ask him to see if he wants to pray. So I'm like, I can't be a chicken in front of my daughter. Like, you know, (laughs) she made this known. But you say, how can a card help somebody? How can soup help somebody? Well, look at 1 Corinthians 2, verses 4 and 5. And my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. I'm just a vessel. I can't do nothing anyway. I'm just a pipe. If God doesn't touch them and transform them, nothing's going to happen. So I'll use whatever method I can come up with. If it means the uh, hit and run method, hey, it works. Send them a card, pass it on, and get out of there before you know their response. You know? No, I say that jokingly, but I've done that. That's where I've been before. And I remember there's an atheist that I work at. I gave her a Christmas card. I wrote in there. Know what she did? She thanked me and made me cookies for Christmas. (laughs) So it touches people's lives. You know, my kids like to ask me, they say, what is your favorite book in the Bible? And I love to tell them the Acts of the Disciples because there's story after story of everyday people that God used to touch the lives of others. And one that's so small and so discreet that you might miss is about a lady named Tabitha in Acts chapter 9. Her name was also called Dorcas. I said, Dad, I'm really happy you didn't name me Dork. I mean, like, that's a tough name to have. But her name was Tabitha or Dorcas. But in Acts chapter 9, in verses 37 through 42, it's in his, I'm gonna, I want to read this to you, and it may take me a couple minutes, but I want you to catch a couple things, so please follow with me. In Joppa, there was a disciple named Tabitha. In Greek, her name is Dorcas. She was always doing good and helping the poor. About that time, she became sick and died, and her body was washed and placed in the upstairs room. Lydda was near Joppa, so when the disciples heard that Peter was in Lydda, they sent two men to him and urged him, please come at once. Peter went with them, and when he arrived, he was taken upstairs to the room. Look at this. All the widows stood around him, crying and showing him the robes and the other clothing that Dorcas had made while she was still with them. You think Dorcas did a good job of sharing her faith with all these widows? doesn't say that she went and said, I mean, and I'm not saying I'm all for using your words. Like, I want to do that. We will do that. But I'm just showing you we can start here. Is that Peter sent them all out of the room. Then he got down on his knees and he prayed, turning toward the dead woman. He said, Tabitha, get up. She opened her eyes and seeing Peter, she sat up. He took her by the hand and helped her to her feet. Then he called for the believers, especially the widows, and presented to her them alive. This became known all over Joppa, and many people believed in the Lord. So what had happened? 
You have this lady that just loves people. She cares for people. She starts making all these people different things just to show them the love of God. She sows a seed. Her life was so impactful that they called Peter, and Peter raises her from the dead. When Peter raises her from the dead and she comes alive, now Peter preaches the gospel to all these people by watering the seeds that Dorcas already sowed. And what's it say? Then many people believed in the Lord. So what can the power of that little card that you wrote with Megan, ladies? Right here. It can touch the life of another person. Another guy's name was Stephen. Now Stephen, we know, is the man that He's the guy that actually preached the gospel to the Apostle Paul. And how the Apostle Paul got saved. But he was just a waiter. It says in Acts chapter 6, verse 2 and 3, that the disciples, they were having issues taking care of all the people. It says, though they summoned a multitude of the disciples and said, it's not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Peter and John and all these guys said, man, our work is too heavy. We don't, we don't have time to serve people and wait on people. Give me some people that can do that. And Stephen was one of them. And it says in verse 8 of Acts chapter 6 that Stephen was a man full of grace and supernatural power. He performed many astonishing signs and wonders and mighty miracles among the people. He's a waiter. Had anybody ever waited on tables before? Yeah. It's an everyday normal position. And what did he do? He would say, let me tell you about what I just saw Jesus do to the people that he was working with. I can do that. You can do that. And one of my all-time favorites is Acts chapter 9, the story of Ananias. And in Acts chapter 9, verses 10 through 18, it says that there was a certain disciple at Damascus. Notice it says it's just a disciple. It doesn't say a preacher. doesn't say a minister. doesn't say a theologian. He was just a follower of Jesus. And the Lord speaks to him. He says, here I am, Lord. And the Lord says, I want you to go, and I want you to pray for the, the man named Saul. He says, because I have a work for him to do. And Ananias says, Lord, is this the same Saul that was killing all, other, all these Christians? And it was. He says, but, I've, he's, but the Lord said, I've called him for a work. And so Ananias went and prayed for the Apostle Paul, who had gone blind for three days. After Jesus appeared to him on that road, he went blind for three days. And Ananias comes over and prays over him and says, receive your sight. And when he did that, the Apostle Paul's eyes came back to him. It says that he was immediately baptized. And within one hour, he was out in the synagogues telling people, let me tell you about what Jesus just did for me. So... It doesn't matter, um, the ministry isn't just about um, for pastors and for preachers. And the ministry is for every one of us. And I'm going to tell you one last story, and then we're going to do a, a song. And um, during that song, I believe the Lord wants to do something for you. But I want to tell you a story. Many of you know, um, have heard of Robbie Dawkins. And uh, maybe not, but Val and I actually got to go see him speak a little, uh, probably last year. And uh, this man is, uh, he started a church in Aurora. And he would mediate between the gangbangers and the, the police. And God really moved in Aurora while he was pastoring. And in 2012, it was the first time 
since 1946 that there were not any murders in the city of Aurora, Illinois. And go ahead. And the reason why is it was Robbie Dawkins' motto that for every life that is taken in this city, we will send people there and we will win three souls for Christ. So that's what they began to do in the city of Aurora. Well, now he's a speaker and he goes many different places. Of all places, I mean, he's an inspiring man. He's in Afghanistan and Palestine preaching on the streets in front of Muslims. And he brings Muslims over and he prays for them. And Jesus does miracles just like Jesus did miracles back in his day. And Muslims and Palestinians are coming to know Christ right on the street. Very powerful. But some years ago, there was this small church in a, farm t- in a country town. And there was this farmer named Milo. And uh, Milo's family went to this church. And this church was raising money uh, for a need that they had. And I don't remember the need, if it was uh, for missions need or for something in the building. But it was a dire need that was needed. And they took up an offering. And after the service... It came up short, and they just, the pastor thanked them for their giving, but says, you know, I really believe that we're supposed to meet this need today. And people were slow to get up and get on board. And then a little girl, about 10, gets up, and she asked the pastor for the microphone, and he gives her the microphone because he recognized that it was Milo's daughter, and he trusted her. So he gives her the microphone, and there was this you know, offering box or collection box, and this little girl steps into it, and she says, I don't have any money. She says, but what I do have, I will give. She said, God, I will go wherever you want me to go, and I will say whatever you want me to say, and I'll even go to places where nobody else wants to go to share with you about you. Ten-year-old girl. But that lady, her name was Rose Dawkins, and she grew up. Well, she wasn't Rose Dawkins. She got married and became Rose Dawkins, and she had a son named Robbie Dawkins, the same man that grew up and had a church right here in Aurora. But this song that I've asked the team to do, it's called From Isaiah 6. God has a declaration and a question in Isaiah chapter 6. He says, who will go for me? Who will tell people about the love that I have for them? He says, I don't expect you to do anything. He says, you just be a pipe and allow me to flow through you. And I believe as we sing this song, the Lord wants to lay someone on your heart. He wants to put somebody in your heart to love on, to care for, to send a card to to buy an Easter lily for, to buy dinner for, to take some soup to, to say, have you ever heard how much God loves you? Because, so during this song, I believe that this is what the Lord wants to do. As we sing it, and as you begin to declare these words, I believe God will really put that person on your heart. So I'm going to ask him to lead us in this worship song, and then I'll come back, and I'll just pray for you that God's love would just compel you and empower you to do exactly what he's telling you to do.
So, Father, we just thank you. Father, that you are such a good God. Lord, I thank you for putting on every person's heart in this, inside this room who it is that you've called them to minister to. And, Father, I just thank you that even now as you're putting that name upon their mind and their heart, that they know that you are empowering them with the almighty power and authority that comes from Jesus Christ. So I thank you, Holy Spirit, that all boldness would come upon them, that the love of God would compel them to share and to speak and tell people of what God has done for them through Jesus. So, Father, touch your people, fill your people, and cause them, Father, to hunger for the lost, God. Give us a compassion like you have compassion, and may that compassion overflow to touch the lives of others. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you.